You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Thank you, Steve, so very, very much. Good morning again, and welcome to worship with us here at Summit Community Church. I want to thank you as God's people, as being in this place that I had the privilege of going to Honduras last week. It was a great blessing. There'll be more news further down the road on that trip, that experience. Many questions were answered, many left unanswered yet, but they will come down the road. But thank you for that. And I was also very blessed, and you were blessed, by having Abner Mendoza to speak with us and share about Summit Community Church in Spanish and also how God is working in his life and what that future of that, in, that involvement in that plant looks like for us. So very blessed with that. Now, next, a really reminder for us, next weekend is our fallback weekend for our clocks. Do not forget to set your clocks back on Saturday before you go to bed. It's always obvious fall and spring who's missed it. They come walking in. It's like, hey, where's everybody? You missed it. So don't miss it. Set your clocks back before you go to bed. And also to celebrate that, we're having pajama day for all the kids, nursery through fifth grade. So moms and dads, give your kids, grandparents, give your grandkids permission to roll out of bed, get to sleep out of their eyes, and please brush their teeth and come to church, but they can have their pajamas on to come to church next Sunday. So it's been a wonderful time, celebration. I'm sorry, all adults, cutoffs at fifth grade. I'm so sorry. But pajama day for all the kids next Sunday to celebrate our fallback on our clocks, to have a great time to celebrate that moment of what we need to do with our clocks. So to celebrate the kids, have a fun thing to do on that Sunday. So thank you. Today, we're back in the Gospel of Mark, once again, season two, and for a few weeks, Right now, we're going to hit a few episodes out of Mark's gospel moving forward. Then, right before Christmas, four weeks there, we're going to enter a series called A Merry Christmas. Not M-E-R-R-Y. A Merry, M-A-R-Y Christmas. Looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary to set the stage for the Christmas season in our hearts and our lives. Then, after the new year, We're going to launch into a series on the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's time to rebuild, time to go. Rebuild the the ruins, get started again. Out of that, we'll come into Mark's gospel again for the passion narrative and Mark's gospel. Then following that, we're going to have some just down-to-earth practical wisdom from Jesus' half-brother James in the book of James, moving into about June in this time frame for this next year. So hold on, hang in with us, and let's God change our minds again. That's where we're going. We're very blessed, very excited to see where we're going. Now today, Mark's gospel. I want to ask you a question. How many of you would say you are a person that when you buy something that requires assembly, you take all the pieces and lay them out? All the nuts and bolts and screws and pieces, whatever you're putting together, and you lay the instructions way over here. Then you start putting it together and you sort of just lay those instructions aside like, I can do this. I'm smart. I know how this works. You end up putting it together and you think, done. And it doesn't roll right. It doesn't sit level. And you go, Where do those nuts and bolts and screws go? Oh, I didn't think I needed them. Where does that piece go? I guess I might need that. 
when it would have been wise to pause for a second and simply read the instructions first or follow the instructions would have been much better. I learned from the school of hard knocks. I admit I'm one of those. How many, anybody else would say you're one of those? Fess up. I see a couple people. Thank you for your confession today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm one of these people. I confess that is me. Now today, we're looking at a young man, a young and rich ruler in God's Word, who came to Jesus asking him, how do I get to eternal life? Christ gives him the answer of what he needed to do, but he rejects it. He ends up walking away disobedient and grieving in his life. What I think is very interesting is, from the very start of the story, this young man, this young rich ruler was so moved in what he was lacking in his life, he comes seeking out Jesus where he is. He's, he's, he's disturbed. He realizes something's not right. But in that searching out for Jesus in his disturbed nature, the turmoil in his soul, he's disturbed, but not disturbed enough to change. That's the practicality of all of human nature, is it not, at some level? It's like in the Proverbs, there's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 12, that speaks to this kind of nature that we all have in us. A man in our church in South Carolina came through our office one day. His name was Stan, and Stan was always a comedian. And I said, Stan, how are you doing today? He said, dumb and tough, man, I'm dumb and tough. And I said, what? He said, it's in the Bible, read it. I said, in the Bible, dumb and tough? He said, Proverbs 27, 12, it's there. Go read it. And I thought, I don't know what that is. I'll read it. And here's what it says. A sensible person sees danger and takes cover. The inexperienced person or naive person keeps going and is punished. He said, I'm dumb and tough, man. I'm dumb and tough. I live the life of cast those instructions aside. I live a life of saying, I know what I should do and ought to do, but you know what? Don't want to do it. Learn hard knocks, dumb and tough. This young man faced Jesus, asked him the question. Jesus gave the answer. He walks away saying, can't do it. Christ told him clearly what he needed to do, but he chose not to follow Christ's instructions. And by that choice, at the end of his life, he would continue down a path, a disappointing road, with him always looking back and realizing at the end he had missed it all of his life. He's like, I have all these pieces put together, but there are pieces still left over, and it does not look right. It's not functioning properly. I should have paid attention to the instructions. When you combine these parallel accounts, we realize and understand this young man was indeed young, he was indeed rich, and he was a ruler. So we often call him the rich young ruler. And as we realize in the story, we soon realize he was rich in two big ways. He was rich in his finances. He was rich in moral wealth. He was a moral person who was very rich as well. He was a decent person who was easily identified probably by his moral excellence. He was most likely a great citizen, probably known by moral purity, sexual purity, honesty, integrity, checking all the boxes. And on top of all that, he was extremely wealthy, which goes back to a point from the disciples, a thought back then, as it can be today in a very erroneous way, is if you live a good life and live these good standards, these good morals, these good values, God will bless you with wealth. So they're thinking, well, he's a good person because he's wealthy. Not necessarily. It does not work that way. God's kingdom does not work that way. God is not saying that at all. It's the opposite many times. 
we think in many circles say, if I do good, if I do the right things, God will bless me. And those blessings are not the spiritual blessings. They say, God will bless me with wealth. God will bless me with things. No, that's called the prosperity gospel, and it's so wrong. Not right. That's what they believed. This rich and young ruler was the kind of guy that any religious leader would say, he is the kind of person I'm looking for. He is a, he's a man of moral excellence, a man of riches. But then you realize he was also a man who came saying, I'm missing something. He was willing to admit he was missing something. And look again how, he, how he's introduced to us, how he burst on the scene in Scripture, verse 17. He just comes out of nowhere. Look at verse 17. As he was setting on a journey, being Jesus, this man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that one verse says a lot, setting the stage for what's getting ready to take place. He had obviously heard about Jesus, and he might have even heard Jesus teach prior to this. So at some point prior to this, he hears Jesus is around, but that Christ is getting ready to leave. Christ is leaving on a journey. So he says, I've been struggling with this for a long time. It's eating a, soul, a hole in my soul. I'm not going to risk Jesus leaving before I get the chance to ask him about this. I've got to release this to him. I've got to find him. So it says here what? How did he come to Jesus? He ran up to Jesus. That's a sign of desperation. He runs up to Jesus. Then he kneels before Jesus, a sign of humility and respect and worship. So he runs to Jesus, finds Jesus, kneels down before Jesus in humility, worship, and respect. Then he asks the question about how to get eternal life. It's been this whole, they're burning this hole in his soul for so long. But before he asks this question, notice he addresses Jesus as not just a teacher, but good teacher. And Jesus uses that, his statement to dig deeper into this man's soul. Christ begins his response by talking to him about how he just addressed him. Look at verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one is good except God alone. Now, clarify, Jesus is not saying I'm not good. Christ is perfect. Christ is great. Christ is the one word awesome in our language. He is God in the flesh. He is part of the Trinity. He is good. But he, he digs in this man's soul, but he says, he's basically challenging him about why he's walking up to somebody that at this point he thinks is just your average person, average rabbi. And he says, why are you calling me good? Digging deeper into this whole story because that reveals his whole idea of goodness and badness, good and bad. Christ is letting him know this. And catch this, he's saying, only God is good, and until you're ready to receive me as your Savior and Lord and follow me, you cannot address me as good teacher, because you don't know who I am. You're missing the mark. You're thinking good is morals. Good is these things. Only God is good. So why did you call me good not even knowing me? And it's obvious you don't know me, because here we are. So now he asks his question. And he asked his question as he currently understood things. He asked Jesus, what did he say? What can I do to inherit or obtain eternal life? 
He exposes right here how he believes and how he's lived his life to get to where he is right now spiritually at this point. He asks, what can I do to gain eternal life? Look at verse 19. Christ digs in, starts digging in. And he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things my youth. Now, heart check right here real quick. Think about this. Which ones of the Ten Commandments, the commandments from God, if Jesus was confronting you in this page right now in this story, which ones of the Ten Commandments would he pull out to you? He pulled these six to this young man, which are yours? And the reason I say this, these things, because Christ knew this man's heart as he knows ours. Christ needed to get deeper into this story and get past this point because it's not about religion. It's not about goodness. It's about Him and sacrifice and surrendering and commitment to Him. So where are these things where before you get up to Jesus, you feel pretty good about yourself? You're thinking, oh, that one? Way to go, you. Oh, that one. Way to go, you. Doing good on that one. Way to go, you. Which one would be yours? Because here's the point. For a brief moment, he feels encouraged because he knows the commandments. But then everything changes. And the reason Jesus asked him these was because Christ knew he checked these boxes. Otherwise, think about this. Had Jesus listed a commandment that he had not done well on or was failing at, he'd have said, thank you, Jesus. You nailed the one I need. Goodbye. Because he was still in his mindset of doing. So which ones would be yours? But right now, at this point, he's immediately he's defeated and he's dejected. This is what he's already been doing. Very appropriately, and it hasn't worked. And I've got to tell you this. You've got to understand, if Jesus calls him out on these commandments and six big commandments like this, and he says, I'm holding up four on a, six commandments like this, and Christ says, "Do you, you, know, you know the commandments. And he says, I've done all these. Christ doesn't argue. That's a pretty deeply moral individual following the rules. But now he knows, even though I've checked all these boxes, that has not worked. That's why I'm here. He's like, this, Jesus, this is exactly what I've been doing. It's not working at all. And at that moment, Jesus is like the boxer coming in the ring, this big, heavy boxer. He, he gives a staggering blow to the right jaw, knocks him flat on the mat, knocks him out cold. Here it comes out of nowhere to his cheek, to his jaw. And here comes that blow. Look at verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Jesus has just told him, you're totally on the wrong road, going in the wrong direction, going nowhere fast. And notice that Christ did not give him an entire list of things. What did Jesus say? He said, you lack how many things? One thing. But that one thing had too much a grip on him for him to let it go. Now think about, it's a heart check again, think about this one. 
This rich and young ruler was held back by his money and his possessions. We're experiencing that truly knowing Jesus and the abundant life that's only found in Christ. Question, what is the one thing that's holding you back? What is the one thing that you are lacking if you're in this story today? What's your one thing? This truth from Jesus knocks the breath out of him. It rattles him down to his socks. He processes what Christ has said. Then he looks, look what happens next. He says, 22, but he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had so many possessions. This young man, this rich young ruler, had been climbing the morality ladder, rung by rung, doing what he knew he could do and should do and what he thought he could do at that time. Here he goes. And as he climbs higher and higher, he realizes, i got a couple more to go to get to the top. I'm trying to get there, but I can't get there. Let me ask Jesus. And that's as if Jesus had kicked the ladder up from under him. He's like, it's not working. He'd almost made it to the top, but just not quite. And there's a big word here. It says, he walked away. He, he went away grieving. Some translations say he walked away sad, but grieving is the appropriate word from the Greek language. And I want you to understand this one word is used one other time in the Scriptures. It's when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane grieving and sweating drops of blood as he was facing the cross. The only other time it's used in Scripture in this form, in this way. When Jesus was in the garden, he started sweating the drops of blood, grieving in deep distress, grieving because he was about to lose the joy of his life and the core of his identity, grieving because he was going to lose his father, his very self, grieving because his father was going to turn his back on him for the very first time in history, grieving because this is what he was going to face. When Jesus called this young man to give up his money and possessions, he began to grieve in that same deep way because his money and possessions were for him what the Father was for Jesus. See, it was the center of his identity. His possessions and his money was the center of who he was. To lose his money and his possessions was to maybe lose himself. See, this rich young ruler knew there was something, something's not right. Something is missing. Otherwise, he would not have come seeking out Jesus. When Christ gave him the answer, he didn't like the answer. Rather than change, he chose to walk away in this deep-seated grief in his life. Now, he went away grieving for a couple of reasons. Quickly, the reasons are here. Number one is this, he sought out Jesus for answers. When you come seeking Jesus for answers, when you talk to the real Jesus, and you get the real message of Jesus, when you talk to the real Jesus, you're always shocked, bar none. When you hear his real message, you're always disturbed. And when you encounter the real Jesus, his real message, two things will happen. First, it demands more than you thought. Second, it offers more than you thought. He demands more than you ever thought, and he offers more than you ever dreamed. And faced with this, we have two possible options. Option one is we bow down in wonder and respect and reverence and humility and worship, give ourselves to him, or we walk away offended. Second reason is this. 
Jesus has smashed, totally obliterated two of his basic assumptions about how religion works. The way he saw things and what was common in his day, very common in our world today. He thought, here's what I got to do, that all of morality, it rests on good and bad, and it's on this horizontal plane. Good's over here, bad's over here. If I'm further this way over here to good, I'm doing much better than I was. I don't want to veer over here. I want to stay on this side. And we fall on this quickly in Christian circles. I'm feeling pretty good about myself because somebody's over here below me, so I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm better than most. I'm good. When Jesus enters the equation, he says that there is no horizontal line to good and bad. It's a vertical line. And when that cross, I want you to picture the cross. When that cross comes smashing down on that horizontal line, he says, I'm obliterating your horizontal line because good and bad is this way. It's where you stand with me that matters. Christ has just done this in this young man's life. He walks, so he walks away grieving. He cannot let go. He could not let go of his things and do things Jesus' way. Third reason is this. Jesus got personal. If you and I dig into Jesus and see him working in our lives, Christ will get personal. He digs into our life if we will, when we get before him. And we must receive that well. Realize right here, what Mark adds something in this story that nobody else adds. Mark says in verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Do you catch that? No other gospel writer includes this phrase. Jesus loved him. You see, Jesus loving him means that he wasn't just looking at him at his face, in his eyes. Christ was looking into his soul. Christ, Jesus was reading him like a book. And what grieved him grieved Jesus. He's like, I want you to follow me. I love you because you're my creation. Please let go of this to really properly follow me. Surrender to me today, right now. Let it go. He loved him. When Jesus comes into my life and yours saying, you need to let this go, he said, I'm not just being a dictator. I'm telling you, I love you. Please let it go. See, underneath the honesty of Jesus, him getting personal, is the very heart of Jesus that is full of love and always wanting what is best for us. Not just good, the best. Christ is telling him to give it to him, urging him to surrender, submit, and let Christ take over. And that moves to him walking away. Christ turns to the disciples. Verse 23, what does he say? Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, right here, Christ is neither condemning nor condoning wealth. Wealth is neutral. Without wealth, the world does not flow. Without wealth, the gospel does not move forward. God made us on an economy in our world. It's the way it works. The, the point here, the disciples, as we'll see in just a moment, Christ blew this away, that he was saying this man had such a hold on his stuff and his money that he could not let it go to enter the kingdom of God, to follow him as the good teacher, as who he is being Savior. So please read deeper in this and understand if this is us in this story. Christ might look at us and say, 
how hard it is for that person who is very successful to enter my kingdom. How hard it is for that person who is very popular to enter my kingdom. How very hard it is for that person who is successful, is, is, has possessions, all these things. It, you can, the list is numerous. If we're in a story, we are in a story. So it's not just money. You can't say, well, I don't have a bit of money. Look at my checking account. It's not about the money here. It's about whatever's holding us back. Whatever's holding us back. Whatever it may be, Christ's challenge is to let that thing go, take hold of him and his truth. Now, as it always happens, disciples are scratching their heads here. They're like, what? Look at verse 24. Disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished now, saying, then who can be saved? Then Jesus, looking at him, says, with man, it is impossible, with, not with God, because all things are possible with God. Christ, once again, stresses how hard it is to enter God's kingdom. And Jesus also was letting him know that if you don't let go of these things, you'll never take hold of him. We've got to understand a principle here. When your hands are full, you can't hold anything else. I watched as a worship team member was walking up the sidewalk this morning as I was making my rounds and locking doors, and his hands were full. And I thought, he'll never get this door open because his hands are full. So I said, let me help you. So I opened the door, and of course he said, thank you. I said, you're welcome. Glad to help you. You had your hands full. He could not have opened the door without setting something down to grab something else. If you come to Jesus like this, you'll never get a hold of him because your hands are full. Jesus looks at this man and says, your hands are full, sir. Your hands are full, people. To get me, you got to let it go, and then I'll let you can get a hold of me. But first, you got to let it go empty, then you can grab a hold of me. But you can't grab me if it's full already. The bottom line here is this if something else has you, you will never have Jesus. Have you ever noticed that Jesus' teachings are like hard candy? I kind of wish they were like chocolate, you know? But I love some hard candy, but uh, chocolate's good too. But chocolate melts in your mouth quickly. You, you eat it. As soon as you get it, you eat it. It's got good, gone. Hard candy takes a while. You got to sort of work it around in your mouth and mull it over and get that thing smaller and softer. You finally can crunch it. You crunch it, then when you first get it, you might be at the dentist with a broke tooth. Swallow it too fast, you might get the Heimlich. You got to just mull it over in your mouth and just let it roll around and get it soft, get it smaller, and just enjoy it. it takes a while. That's Jesus' teachings. He says, Come here, let me give it to you. And he started, Let me just mull this over a while. I'm going to enjoy this. Spend some time with this. That's Jesus' teachings right here. We work on that candy, work on that candy until then we're rewarded with layer after layer of increasing sweetness. It's like, man, that's good for a long time. When you meet the real Jesus, you get a real answer from him. He'll smash your assumptions. He gets personal. Then what will you do? So Peter interjects here, as Peter does. Here comes Peter. Look at Peter. He says, Peter, in verse 28, began to tell him, look, we've left everything and followed him, followed you. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, for my sake, 
and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more than now at this time. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields. But he adds one thing, doesn't he? With persecutions. The eternal life in the age to come, he adds two things. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Says Peter, in the grand scheme of things, you've really let go of nothing. I've replaced that in your life fourfold. I'm giving you above that. You're going to be persecuted, but it's a joyful persecution in my name. There's reward in that. And I'm rewarding you all with eternal life because you have forsaken these things. You can't listen. I've given all this stuff. No, you, you're gaining so much more. That's us. Where do we go from here? What do we learn from this rich young ruler? How can we create a different ending than what he had? First run to Jesus. Fall down before him and ask what we're missing in our lives. Then don't resist when Jesus shows you what you need to do. Don't buck up at him. Say, okay. Be willing to deal with it and let it go. Empty your hands. And know that if you, won't deal, if you don't deal with it and let it go, you will also go away grieving. The only way to get away rejoicing is to do what Jesus says. Even when at the very moment that it happens, you can't see it or, know or understand it at all. You know what that's called? That's called faith. He says, practice faith. Do it even though you don't understand. Because you've asked me and I've told you. Here it is. You know, we enter this life. I wish probably that there would be a statement over every one of us the minute we're born, over our, when you walk by the hospital beds, you see these placards that have the baby's name and date of birth, height, weight, all this stuff, and it's so cute, so wonderful. It should say something out on the top that says, some assembly required. <laughs> but I'm talking spiritually, you know? Every one of us enters a fallen and broken world and a sinful nature that's only redeemed by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. And all of our lives say, assembly required. And Jesus says, yeah, there's some assembly required. <laughs> I'm giving you the instruction manual. Here's what you need to follow. Otherwise, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do this. No, nah, I ain't doing that, Jesus. We get the end of our lives, and here we go. Pieces that are not there. It's not sitting level. It's not rolling right. Nuts and bolts and screws everywhere. My life is not right. But when I follow him and follow his rules and his instruction manual, it's like, now it makes sense. Now it works. Now I see it. We've got to follow the instructions that Jesus gives. The disciples didn't get it many times, so often. In John's Gospel, John chapter 6, Jesus has confronted people with a very strong statement. He says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, speaking about his sacrifice on the cross in their place, you cannot have me. And they walked away saying, this is gross. This is offensive. I can't take this. Who are you to say that? That's awful. And it says many, John 6, 66. What a, what a number. 
many people, many followers walked away to forsake him. And Jesus asked the original 12, he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter immediately responds with this, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's where we must land in this story. Okay, Jesus, I've asked you what I need to do. You've shown me. Now, help me in humility and in honor of you, submission to you, do what you've asked so that I might find that abundant life right here, right now that you promised me, and I'll find you as my Savior and Lord, that I have eternity in heaven with you when I die. And this life makes sense because I know you are the one, the holy God, the holy one. Where are you today? What is your one thing that Jesus would point out to you in your life? He says, you got to let it go because you're not getting there where you need to be because it's got too much a hold on you. What is it today? We're going to worship together in a powerful song. And as we worship together today in this place, understand this. We're reading a book right now called Gentle and Lowly, and I want to Show you, just grab a statement to you, and it's it's something so powerful. It's that Jesus, Jesus posture to us. And I want you to grab this today. Jesus' response to us, his 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 posture, is the testimony of the gospels about Christ sees the fallenness of our world all about him. His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. You're saying, man, you don't understand me. I might not, but Jesus does. Jesus moves towards sufferers. He moves towards sinners. Jesus' stance to you is not the finger coming at you to point out. He says, come to me. Come to me. I receive you. One statement in the book was so powerful to me. It says, you will never out Jesus coming to you and embracing you, welcoming you. Like the prodigal son, the father saying, I'm looking for my son. He's looking for you. What is it? What's that one thing? Let him have it. Let's stand together and sing. Father in heaven, I pray we'd see you right now with your arms open wide. Reveal to us what our life looks like before you that we understand you're that good, good Father who's ready to receive us. As you pointed out to us, help us to bring it to you for you to heal it, to let you have it, to let you have all of us, that we might obtain all of you and find you as our Savior and Lord and find you this abundant life you offer to us today. We love you. We praise you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.